0: The Explorers podcast is sponsored by RM Capital, a provider of specialist small to mid-cap corporate advisory and boutique wealth management services. The content of this podcast should not be considered financial or investment advice. All interviews and discussions are opinions only and the podcast has been created without taking into consideration the listener's financial objectives, financial situation or needs. Listeners should obtain independent advice before making any financial decisions. This is Barry Fitzgerald, Garen Perera columnist for Stockhead. Welcome to another edition of the Explorers Podcast. Now, the breakdown of supply chains during COVID and the increased political and trade tensions across the globe has put the spotlight on the security of supply of the critical metals and minerals needed by industry in the major global economies. Today's podcast goes to that very point as we are catching up with an. A- ASX listed company working at establishing a critical minerals and metals business for the US industry, which like industry in Europe and Asia has grown increasingly worried about China's dominance of the critical materials supply chain. The company is Hyperion Metals. It trades under the code HYM or Hotel Yankee Mike. It last traded at one dollar and one cent for a market cap of one hundred and five million dollars. The stock has been a strong performer in the last 12 months as the company goes about its company making plans underpinning the strategy is a mineral sands project in West Tennessee in the US, which is tied into the company's breakthrough processing technology for titanium metals and powders, as well as plans to direct us the monazite stream from the mineral sands business into rare earths. Lots to talk about with this one. And we have Hyperion's Managing Director Tasso Arima with us today to bring us up to speed with the company's plans and progress. Hi Tesso and welcome to the podcast. Hi Barry,
1: thanks very much for having me.
0: Okay Tesso, I'm told you you have form in uh, building company making projects, so it'd be great if you could give us a bit of a background on your prof- uh, professional history up to now and the opportunity you have identified
1: for the company in the US. Yep, it uh, would be a pleasure to. Uh, so Barry, my background uh, initially started in Perth, um, I grew up in Perth, Western Australia and I uh, worked um Straight out of university in the mining industry, uh, in the investment banking mine industry, and I uh, uh, worked for Ian Middlemas and I founded a company which ended up being called Cosper Mines. Mm-hmm. Uh, that drew drove me over to North America. We turned that into a billion dollar company uh, before stepping off the board, and then we went ahead and uh, continued to do um, investments in the fossil fuel sector, which drove me to North America. Uh, for some coal projects in both North America and, and Europe in about 2015. Uh, once we once we established an office and a presence in, in North America and started building a team in around the 2015 timeframe, we realised that um, critical minerals uh, was probably the way to go. Uh, fossil fuels was getting pressured, as we've seen, um, mm-hmm. over the last few years. Uh, and we wanted to move into uh, these new critical minerals. So uh, I founded, together with my team here, a company called Piedmont Lithium, which is ASX listed and NASDAQ listed um, and has been a strong performer over the last few years. Mm -hmm. Uh, I recently stepped off the board of that uh, about four weeks ago uh, and our chairman of Hyperion Metals still sits on as an independent director on Piedmont. That uh, particular project, uh, Piedmont and its success and the team that we built around that was the reason why we started looking even delving further into uh, the critical mineral and metal supply chain. We had built up a great uh, understanding um, of uh, what critical minerals and the supply chains are needed here in the U.S. uh, for whether it be for the aerospace, electric vehicle or industries. And so we started looking at uh, opportunities probably about 18 months ago to sort of parlay our skills that we built as a team um, into um, development of other projects in the Southeast U.S. where we have a particular uh, strength and competitive advantage in dealing with private land ownership and and mineral development out here. Mm -hmm. So that brought me to um, look towards really titanium and titanium mineral sands. Um, As a background, our chief geologist and a good friend of mine, Lamont Betterman, who started Piedmont with me, uh, we were discussing what minerals we should look at. And titanium was a standout because of the mineral and the minerals contained within titanium are are crucial uh, to the US. And then titanium metal was also a critical input for aerospace defense and we could see its use potentially in in future industries as a replacement for stainless steel in 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 applications like uh the, the the stainless steel used in the battery pack steel today in the electric vehicle market so we started looking around at potential projects in the southeast because we knew that there was significant untapped potential for um an underexplored potential here in, in the southeastern us we came across this area of West Tennessee. Um, about 12 months ago, uh, when COVID hit, I was actually driving. Uh, back then, I was living in New York City and was driving 14 hours mm-hmm. to come sit at a little market out here. I'm actually in my Camden office in Tennessee right now. I was uh, coming, sitting with the farmers and the landowners and talking with them from 6 a.m. to 8 a.m. before they would go out to work. And um, we took about six months of developing those relationships, and then we started putting t- together this project. and we uh, backed it into, into an ASX company um, late last year, uh, and so the last nine months we have, I think, done an excellent job. And that's, that's because my team has been outstanding at, at the performance that they've done, mm-hmm. um, and I'm very proud of them. And we've, we've taken just a concept, what was a concept 18 months ago, uh, through to what is a major land position in this part of the world, uh, 6,000 acres, and it will continue to grow. We had our first grand opening of our uh, community um office here uh, which is really our major office here in in tennessee uh where i'm sitting out of today on uh we had that on saturday we had 200 people in the community come representatives from uh, congress as well that attended um, and then we uh we have also made significant progress on actually development of the project we've drilled close to 200 holes we've uh, acquired all this land we've done over 1.5 tonnes of bulk mineral uh, test work. We've got another tonne getting done now. We've already started the scoping study, um, and we're on the precipice of actually putting the first Jork resource out in this part of the world um, that's ever been done. Um, and we are really excited about the potential for this area, and then uh, what, what what we could do, really, over the next 18 months. Mm. Then. Overlaying that is also uh, the ability for us to then take that and with the technology that we've secured, uh, that Professor Zach Fang out of the University of Utah developed um, from funding from the Department of Energy, the RPE program out of there, and with uh, Boeing as an industrial partner, um, that technology we could take some of those titanium minerals here and actually solve and actually make titanium metal, and with that we would solve not just a big critical mineral issue. Uh, that the US has with uh, titanium minerals, zircon minerals, monazite or rare earth minerals, but also solve a major national security issue uh, that is titanium metal. Uh, Mm. And so we're really excited about it and uh, got a lot to do, but there's a massive amount of value that we see we can create in a short space of time uh, Mm, with our project.
0: Now, the the Mineral Sands project uh, called Titan, Critical Mineral Project. um, I understand there's... uh, over the years, over the decades, many of the majors have looked at it, but uh, this
1: would be the first mineral sands development in that part of the world? Uh, yes, it will be. There's a couple of other sand operations uh, focusing on the same sand formation. Um, you do have uh, Covia out here, which operates. Covia is one of the largest sand producers uh, industrial sand producers in the States, they produce a uh, a uh, high-quality low-iron uh, quartz sand product out of this formation. Uh, we will be the first company that's actually going to develop a uh, mineral sand out of this, so much larger operation, um, much more tonnage focused mm. on where the areas are concentrated in the heavy metals.
0: Yeah, interesting location too, given... I'm pretty sure you've got most of the major pigment uh, producers in that in that part of the world. You must have a project where you're not exporting, I don't know, from Australia or Africa into the US. You're actually doing it in the US
1: with the end users first at uh, the doorstep. Yeah, it would. It's a it's a massive advantage uh, to have that uh, market position right on the doorstep of a couple of key customers of course Camor's uh, new johnsonville plant which is their largest pigment plant in the world is uh, 15 miles away from us but you also do have tronox which is only a few hours drive to the south in as you head towards um, uh, into mississippi uh, you've got Camor's other plant in delisle uh, mississippi and you've got a few other plants as well in the u.s which constitutes all the u.s pigment production capacity which is and the u.s is the sec- still the second largest pigment producer behind china so massive advantage, strategic advantage, to be able to supply those sort of customers with a domestic feedstock.
0: Okay. Now, you mentioned a maiden resource estimate uh, coming out soon. Do you then move the project into the scoping study stage?
1: So, yeah, it's a good, it's a great question. The maiden resource does come out uh, fairly soon. Um, so, we've got a slated for third quarter, so this quarter. Um Uh, But we've already started the scoping study. There's a lot of background work we can do. We did uh, the bulk um, uh, metallurgical test work program with mineral technologies um, with Hatch overseeing that um, over the last sort of uh, three, four months. Uh, So we've already started a lot of that background work um, around sizing, capex, opex, um on uh the scoping study Uh, and once we finalize our maiden uh, mineral resource we can then drop that into the the study and um and accelerate the time from the maiden mineral resource to the release of the scoping study as well so uh, hatch is uh going to be overseeing that and hatch is a multidisciplinary engineering firm who uh my group has worked with in the past we've been they've got an excellent team with an excellent track record and history in in uh in mineral sand and titanium operations
0: Right. Now, Tessa, you mentioned the, uh, this HAMR, H-A-M-R, which is a, a, an abbreviation of the scientific sort of sounding language, but we'll leave it at that. But it's, it's got disruptive
1: potential, apparently. So can you just explain to the listeners why it uh, has this disruptive potential? <laughs> it's a good <laughs> that's a good one it's a uh, hydrogen assisted magnesiothermic uh, reduction oh, so we <laughs> essentially <laughs> we call it the hammer process so um professor fang um, uh, about uh, five years ago released a paper on this uh he had seen that essentially the the historic way that titanium minerals so titanium dioxide essentially was taken through and made into the titanium metals through a A brute force uh, chemical process um, called the Kroll process, and the Mm -hmm. reason for that is titanium dioxide itself is a very stable, uh, is chemically very stable. Uh, So to break those oxygen bonds with the titanium, um, those titanium oxide bonds, you had to put it through a very carbon-intensive, energy-intensive process, Um, and and then you could using chlorine as well, and you could crack that, create titanium tetrachloride, and then reduce that in magnesium to make titanium metal. Uh, Titanium metal has an affinity to pick up oxygen, so you had to do it all under vacuum, uh, all uh, with uh, very high temperatures, you know, a lot of energy consumption, a lot of carbon consumption. No one really had, there was others that tried different ways, um, uh, electrochemical processes as well, they just could not get down to those oxygen levels with low cost. Uh, so Dr. Fang um, actually uh, designed a process um, and he had a, actually a scientific breakthrough before he designed the process where he saw that if you introduced hydrogen into the chemical reaction of reducing titanium mineral so titanium dioxide to titanium metal, you actually destabilize these titanium oxide bonds and made it possible to simply reduce with say magnesium titanium mineral to titanium metal so essentially you destabilize those chemical bonds. Um, And so then he designed a process around that, a two-step process, which is very simple, uh, done in relatively low temperatures for for 700 degrees C. So no uh, unique equipment needed, standard furnaces. Um, And he designed this process and scaled it to a pilot scale with funding from the Department of Energy, where he showed that you could simply reduce and deoxygenate titanium mineral to titanium metal uh, with this process. Um, And he showed that it could be done with... uh, 50% 50% less energy um, than the traditional coral process, uh, far reduced cost um, and with potential for zero carbon emissions if we mm-hmm. use renewable power. Mm-hmm. So we latched onto that because we, um, and I should have said it at the start, we don't want to just be a producer of these critical minerals. We want to be a sustainable and a uh, where we can, a zero carbon or a decarbonized producer of these critical minerals and metals. And that process in particular, allows us to produce what we would call a zero carbon titanium metal product, uh, which I think um, is needed in the market today and gives us huge competitive advantage, not just into the titanium metal market, where we think we can make a big impact and, and bring about lower cost and also a better product, but into the stainless steel uh, market and other, and other metal markets as well. So actually expand where the market for titanium exp- metal, which is pretty promising. Absolutely. Yeah. Titanium metal is pricey. It's tough to work with and it's pricey and that's what makes it very expensive. Our process can make it far cheaper, can make a powder. that can be used in additive manufacturing or powder metallurgy or 3D printing. And together with uh, the impact of all of those technologies, you can all of a sudden make, say, a a battery pack or a suspension system uh, that typically is made out of stainless steel. You can uh, can actually make that out of, say, titanium metal and it would be 40% lighter and it would be more corrosion resistant and all of a sudden it's a it's a it's also far more sustainable and a decarbonized product as well um so that's where we see the future going over the next maybe five or ten years um We're really excited about it um it's an absolute breakthrough of a technology and uh we see that being a massive market in the future that uh is hugely disruptive to the metals industry bringing on a an age of titanium so to speak yeah good
0: okay. now i see uh at the advisory board level, you've appointed uh, Boeing's uh, Chief Scientist for Metallic Materials. Um, so I take it, does
1: that reflect a growing industry interest in what you guys are working on? But Daniel Yusefiani was a great um, addition to our Scientific and Technical Advisory Board. Um, he was part of the research project. Boeing supported the research of this Um and I do think it is a uh, a statement to um, the the potential of this technology that somebody of his caliber has joined our our team um, and will assist us in in driving this forward. But yes, we we are already seeing um, industry uh, um, pickup and uh, and especially the integration and the need for uh, domestic titanium sources, um, and with the added benefit of the, them being low cost and uh, and more sustainable. We're seeing a lot of inbounds as to um, potential partners and, and who could work with us so uh, this is a revolutionary technology we need to continue to um to progress it uh to scale it um over the next few years as we build out our, our minerals business but yes i think uh dr iusefiani is a great addition um and i, and I over the next uh few uh, years uh, i look forward to working with him closely and with and continuing to to work with industry closely as well.
0: Mm, Okay. Just moving on to uh, Rare Earths, taking the Monazite stream from the uh, Mineral Sands project. Uh, You have an MOU with Energy Fuels of the US. Uh, Tell us about that.
1: Yeah, so Energy Fuels um, is... So we have Monazite as one of our streams. We've got about a couple of percent in our product, um, we would expect. A couple of percent of what we expect would be a very large uh, operation out here. Um, is is a significant amount of of monazite for for the rare earth market. Um, so we wanted to find um, a, a way that we could uh, participate and be a big part of the uh, rare earth market in the U.S. We were lucky, and at the same time as we were developing our project Energy Fuels, and uh, led by Mark Chalmers, the CEO and the team out there had uh, had actually converted a portion of their mill, uh, their uranium mill, which has been operating for decades now. Uh, to be able to process uh, monazite, crack it, and uh, deal with the uranium thorium byproduct. Uh, byproduct, they, it is a byproduct for them because they can sell the uranium. Mm. Um, so uh, we, it was a bit of a, I guess, a match made in heaven. They were looking for more feedstock, especially American feedstock. Um, they are one of the only plants outside of China. I think Linus is the only other plant that can crack and uh, deal with the uh, um, uh, radioactive uh, uh, byproduct or waste stream. Um, and so, uh, we, we started talking with them and we developed a, uh, uh, a, a strategic partnership, which is an, at an MOU level right now. But over the course of the next 12 to 18 months, as we develop our project, we expect to take that through into a, into a more, uh, formal, um, or, um, binding agreement, I should say, not formal, but a, because it is formal now, but a binding agreement mm-hmm. uh, whereby we we supply them with um and they're able to crack it um, and produce rare earth oxides. Um, and they're building the separation right now as well. Um, they're supplying into an Estonian plant in Europe right now, but they aim to, over the next uh, few years, build out rare earth separation capabilities there. And then depending on the size of what we produce um, and uh, and eventually how big we get, uh, which I think will be substantial, uh, we can uh, we can potentially participate um, as some sort of partner on the downstream as well here in America. So although it is um, a co-product, although titanium and the titanium downstream really excites me, being a, uh, a strong part of that uh, U.S. rare earth supply chain um, and potentially helping to reshore a big chunk of it um, because we could have a significant amount of monazite here, um, and mozart production uh, is is exciting as well. And I think it's uh, critical to the US um, and, and what we're trying to do here in developing sustainable uh, critical mineral uh, production.
0: Mm. Yeah, interesting approach you're taking. Quite often we see someone like, will have a mineral sands project somewhere and they'll just focus on getting out their uh, rutile, their zircon, whatever. But you guys have got this small, all-embracing uh, combination of Streams that to make uh, position it uh, right at the apex of the, uh, the s- uh, security supply across critical minerals, particularly in the US, and the US is of course is uh, very supportive of um, projects that can reduce US uh, uh, reliance on uh, imports. So I was just wondering, what sort of uh, going forward, what sort of support might you be able to? or from
1: the us government it's a good question um, this administration is is very supportive of critical mineral development and processing as well um, so whether it's the critical minerals business uh, and I see this uh, the business that we're building as two businesses it's the critical minerals business where we can get into operations with this mineral sands project very quickly and start supplying those critical minerals through to all um, ilmenite, zircon, monazite very quickly, uh, or relatively quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the, and then the metals business, the titanium metals business, where over the longer term we can scale that and, and reshore the titanium metal supply here in America. Both of those receive uh, a significant amount of attention. We are 94% here in the US, 94% import reliant on uh, the titanium minerals for our paint and pigment industry. And of course, with the monazite and the rare earths, we're significantly import reliant. um, And 80% of that comes from China on the rare earth side. So reshoring that and being a big part of that gets a lot of attention from both, uh, even the community understands that out here. Um, that, they, that we shouldn't be reliant, especially on China, for, for those minerals. So from a community through state through federal level, there's there's, community, there's support for the project um, and there's potential funding avenues uh, down the track f- uh, from the project. Um, but I think over the longer term, there's a tremendous amount of support for the titanium metal side of the business. Titanium mm-hmm. metal it has only just become 100% import dependent as of the last 12 months the last titanium metal manufacturing facility, which could take the mineral and crack it and create the metal, the primary metal, titanium sponge, shut. um, That was uh, owned by Timeet and operated out of Henderson, Nevada. That shut last year, about this time last year. And so we're now hugely dependent on that. Uh, the largest producer is China, and they continue to grow at a rapid pace. They've grown over 22 times over the last 20 years, their titanium sponge capacity. It's sort of like what they did in the steel industry. Mm-hmm. They're putting pressure on the second largest producer, which is Japan. Uh, and the third largest producer is, is Russia. They're not pressured, they're integrated facilities. So if Japan continues to get pressured, and if there's any conflict or if those Japanese plants close, then the US for its military aircraft, its Navy, its, uh, you know, anything, the, the space industry as well. We're going to be completely reliant on China and Russia for those supply chains. It's mm. a bigger issue, in my opinion, than the rare earth supply chain because it's a much larger market. Um, so for us, um, we, we, we already see that there's a significant amount of, um, interest. Um, both at a state and federal level, of course, here at the community level, they understand that a lot. I like to call it, you know, from Tennessee to, to space. When I talk to the community out here, mm-hmm. uh, that this mineral can eventually go to <laughs> go to Mars. But from a state and federal level, um, where the funding could come from, there's a lot of support in reshoring that metal supply chain and then also there's a lot of support in in creating a low-cost metal supply chain that could also replace stainless steel and decar and help decarbonize the the say electric vehicle supply chain as well by making st- uh, titanium battery packs instead of stainless steel battery packs so there's a lot of interest from whether it be dod or doe about what we are doing um, this uh, research was funded to the tune of eight million dollars by the Department of Energy, by the Advanced Research Programs Agency within the Department of Energy. Mm-hmm. Um, so it is one of their own homegrown technologies. Um, and then Dr. Fang and his team just received another two hundred fifty thousand dollars grant from the Department of Energy, uh, or from the sorry National Science Foundation just. Uh, a month ago around using the technology to not just create titanium metal but create titanium metal alloys directly reduced in this process which is a which is um you know we've got exclusive rights over that as well so it's um it's already something that the government understands uh we are in the right time uh, to be uh, talking about this and, and developing this sort of project. Uh, we've done a lot of work in, in D.C. already, um, and we're uh, continuing to uh, do a lot of work here in the community and at the state level. Um, I'm meeting uh, some of the senators' staff next week. I'm meeting the governor's staff the week after. I'm going to the governor's conference ball. Um, you know, we expect to have strong relationships with both the state and federal level, um, especially with groups like Oak Ridge National Laboratories, which is based in Tennessee. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we expect over time to receive a significant amount of uh, f- uh, uh, funding and non-funding support from them as well.
0: Well, folks, there we go. Uh, a very interesting uh, combination of conventional conventional mineral sands processing allied to uh, breakthrough titanium uh, metal production, plus a, a rare earth's leg as well. So with that, Tesla, I going to thank you for your time today and uh, we'll be watching with interest. Best of luck with it all. Thank you very much, Barry. Thanks for having me on, on the show. This episode of the Explorers Podcast was sponsored by RM Corporate Finance, an active participant in emerging companies around the globe. To hear more about them or become a client, contact them on plus six one eight six three eight zero nine two double zero.